This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. If you know, you know, it's Friday, and that can only mean one thing, Clark stinks. Later, I'm also going to talk about what's been going on in the travel industry with flight cancellations, fake reviews, and more. And we're entering an ultra-peak time to travel, and I want you to be prepared. So I also need to be better prepared to serve you. There are times you'll hear me give an answer to a question, give an opinion, talk about something where you feel I've given an incomplete story or I'm just flat-out wrong. And that's why we have Clark.com slash ClarkStinks. And so you can go post when you feel that I missed the mark. And then Krista goes through all the Clark Stinks posts, of which there are many thousands every week. No. no, no. And shares her favorites with you right here and right now. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. You know, someday, Krista, I think we should have a family edition Clark Stinks where my family... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they would not want to do that. You no sure? Way. I'm positive. Okay. Clark, you need to stop saying that you were old. I was born on June 20th, 1955, and I am not old. And that's well, from Kevin. Kevin, you and I are so lucky to have been born on what typically is the longest day of the year. And I just poke fun at myself being 66, still having a teenage son. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. And I've got this ability because I've lived a long life and I have young kids that I really have a wide set of experiences going on. And But I do find it funny because I do not physically feel old. It's just the calendar says I am. All right. We had a few on this, Clark. Clark, I love your podcast and I listen to it every day, but sometimes you really do sell yourself short. There are so many voices out there and we need more of your positivity, common sense, and wear tested advice. You need to write that next book. God bless you, sir. And that's from Chad. 
The next one. Krista is right. We need a book of recommendations and life money advice for young people. I wish I had known about all this money stuff when I was younger. I would definitely buy your book for my kids and any family member graduating high school. Glad you had a week to rest, but you were missed when you were off last week. And then last one. Yes, Clark, you should write one more book. You should write a book about your life and your journey. Why not? That would be a great read. Just like Warren Buffett. Derek. So just so you know, Krista has been after me to write my life story for, I don't know, 20 years. Uh And I just, well, you know, the first person said, don't sell myself short. I just don't find my life that interesting to to write a book about it. But writing a book for kids about kids handling money, there is a real need in the marketplace for that. Um, And young adults. For for young adults, uh, you know, for teenagers, 20-somethings, maybe into early 30s. The problem is it's a marketplace that doesn't really gravitate towards books. So if I'm really going to reach and teach teenagers to early 30s, it's got to be done different ways. I mean, TikTok is one way that I'm thinking about as a great way to communicate with particularly teenagers and 20-somethings. You go where the customers are, where the ears and eyes are, and I'm just not sure that a younger audience is really going to pick up a book about money and read it, but if they get information in little bite-sized morsels, I think they'll take more to that. Now you're selling books short. As an avid book reader, and there are lots of young people who read, maybe it's on a tablet and it's not a physical book, but anyway, let's move on. You okay. don't stink. So that's going to generate more books, <laughs> isn't it? What you don't about stink, books. but I'd ra- like to add another option to the listener who is asking if he should pay cash for his $9,000 elective surgery or the no interest plan offered to him. I would suggest he use a rewards credit card and pay it off before the due date. Even my credit union credit card offers 1.5% rewards, which would pay him back $135, and I know there are even better rewards out there, and that's from Dana. So Dana, you know, I have explained, and I should point this out again, that I use credit cards as a payment system, not as a borrowing thing. And I use reward cards, and I'm really heavy on using 2% cash back reward cards. And so using a cash back, if you're going to turn right around and pay that balance in full, absolutely it lowers the cost, in this case, of the surgery. I've heard many times in comments about prescriptions, and as a kidney transplant patient, I've found the cost of prescriptions greatly reduced by using my medical plan versus Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart, etc. Also, what you fail to mention is a side-by-side comparison. For example, the lowest cost prescriptions for a medication under my medical plan is 200 tablets, which is 100 days. $11.67 is my cost. At Walmart, Sam's Club, or Costco, it would be $4, but only for a 15-day supply. So continue the good advice. We love it, but please remember to advise people to compare apples to apples, not donuts to dollars, and that's from Tim. Tim, thank you very much for that, and congratulations to you on being a successful kidney transplant patient. That is wonderful, wonderful news for you, and I wish you a long and healthy life. Welcome back, Clark. 
The Clark Stinks is based on your own words. You say that what you bring to your listeners is a team effort. You say that good employers romance their employees. So you're missing a great way to honor both statements. It would be to allow members of your team to create content and record podcast episodes that would be available to stream while you're away. Best of all, everyone wins. Your team members gain valuable experience. Listeners don't have to go without a podcast. Your regular advertisers have something to support while you're gone. Also, consider members of the Consumer Action Center and Clark Deals. Your wife and children, certainly members of Team Clark, also might enjoy getting involved, Brian. People missed you, for sure, when you're out. So, what do you think about us having um, additional podcasts available? I think it's a great idea. We'll have to see who would want to do it and what we could, you know, maybe potentially having fill-in hosts for you, too, when you're gone. Okay. Um, Okay, about your discussion of primary or secondary rental car coverage on credit cards, you seem to have missed one very important point. When secondary coverage is offered, it's assuming you have primary coverage through other means. If you don't have a primary auto insurance policy, often secondary coverage will be denied on the basis of no primary. The devil's in the details of your credit card small print. Your advice for getting a credit card with primary coverage is spot on, and that's from Walter. Walter, thank you. And one other thing I neglect to mention, because I forget There's a percent of the population that does not own a car. If you own no vehicle, you can buy in many states an auto insurance policy for a non-owner policy, I guess is what it's called typically, where you have a policy that protects you when you do drive, even though you don't own your own vehicle. And that gives you a nice liability shield if you are driving uh, somebody else's vehicle, a rental, whatever, a Turo, that you have some coverage there for you because the stuff that the credit card offers is for the typically the physical damage to the vehicle, not the liability risk that you may be faced with in an accident. You don't stink, but insurance companies do. You stated you got a 52 score one day from your auto-spying software because two cars cut you off and you had to slam on your brakes. Um, Shouldn't that just give you a 100 score because you avoided the accident? Just because you slam on your brakes, make a hard turn or whatever, does not make someone a bad driver. It's all in context, which the software can't see. I believe this is why no drivers want the insurance companies spying on them. And if Allstate wants to force it on their customers, knowing only 2% want to do this, they are obviously tone deaf to their own market. May they swiftly go bankrupt. Okay, so safety score. Christy, you see my score? 91. 91. It's going down that my score is declining. And it gave me a down score for forward collision warnings. It says unsafe following, that I'm Mm. too close behind people. It says perfect score for hard braking. I don't do that. I don't aggressively turn. But I apparently need to give more space between me and other cars. So I'd say that's actually, for me, a positive to see this. And so I get this daily safety score that is a beta, and I'm able to see day by day, how I drive. So today I've got a 99. Excellent. So I didn't, I got all greens. You get green in each 
safety category, a green, a yellow, or a red. So I'm so statistics-oriented that for me, it's kind of a game to see my daily score. Now, Krista also drives a Tesla Mm -hmm. and has not signed up. No. For the safety beta, because you're worried what score you'll get? I just, I don't want anything to do with that right now. Right. So back, though, to the post. Yeah. The thing about the auto insurers tracking what you do, if it is voluntary, that's one thing. If it is mandatory, that is another thing. And that's what my concern is potentially with all state, is trying to get state regulators to allow them to make it a mandatory condition of your insurance rating and i don't like that greg stinks so clark stinks this is from greg i recently excitedly started washing with less laundry detergent really appreciating the maybe 25 cent per load savings later that week my children started surrounding and sniffing me and telling me i stink (laughs) apparently less laundry detergent is a subjective description and i overdid it or underdid it (laughs) Ad, alas, I need to add more, and Costco's detergent profits are safe. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Greg. All and- right, so what I do, all right, this is even worse. Do you know when I do my laundry, not only do I put in a skimpy amount of detergent, but I do the quick wash instead of the regular wash so that I use less water and less energy. So... Um, do I stink all the time? Do my clothes always look dingy? No, you look it's fine. You're totally good. Okay. Clark discussed a number of advantages of the Fidelity Zero funds. Nothing he said stunk, but it is what he omitted that left much to be desired. Unlike other funds such as Vanguard, Fidelity funds can only be held in a Fidelity account. I used to have one and ran into issues, which in the interest of brevity I will not describe. After failed attempts to resolve... We agreed the account needed to be moved to a different broker. At that point, I was obligated to sell the Fidelity Zero funds and realize capital gains as the funds cannot be transferred. I will never again purchase non-transferable securities, and that's from Ben. Ben, thank you, and that is a point I never make about proprietary funds that are house account funds, like the Fidelity Zeros. If you had talked to me about the situation that where Fidelity had worked your last nerve, I would have encouraged you to leave the zero funds behind at Fidelity and move the rest of your account so that you would not trigger the capital gains. Uh, I don't know what the issues were with Fidelity, but when you end up in a situation with captive or house funds where you cannot move them, the best thing is to leave them behind as a stranded asset. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that, because I never talk about captive funds, because it is a pretty rare problem for people, but I'm glad that you brought it up since you did suffer financial consequences because of it. Mr. Howard. Oh, come on. Please, please correct your pronunciation of the word. How do you read that word? Basmati. Throughout the entire segment, you kept on pronouncing the word as basmati. The correct pronunciation is basmati. I will give you the benefit of the doubt on this since you are always very careful about pronouncing the names of people correctly in all your podcasts. One not-so-fun fact, your pronunciation changes the actual meaning of the word. In The word basma 
translates to bone ash in many of the languages in India. Huh. So I didn't even bone know. Bone ash rice. Basmati. Basmati. I've never heard it called that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. The most important thing is I can't eat that rice or I end up with anaphylactic shock. Don't know why. And uh, it's a weird feeling if you ever had an, an anaphylactic reaction to something. It is, um, it's pretty frightening when you can't breathe. And who knows why that particular rice does that to me. And if you were to do a search engine, Google or whatever, you'll see people talking about an allergy to that version of rice that I can't say right, even after hearing your explanation. Um, just for me, it's not a safe thing for me to eat. But we have a zillion packets of it. And regardless of what you call it, I'm finding the cheapest prices on that rice at Aldi at $1.19 a pack, uh, the 90-second kind you put in the microwave. And Lane and Grant, my wife and son, eat that all the time. Well, I want to tell you, coming up, I'm going to talk holiday travel. And there's some chaos out there in the world of travel. And if you are going to fly over the Thanksgiving or Christmas holiday season, I need to give you the roadmap to how you can deal with problems you didn't cause, but you may experience. Another thing as well I want to talk about is how fake online reviews are in the world of travel. And it's a real problem. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It has been episodically a very, very difficult time for air travelers in 21. Uh, three of our nations, what do we have, nine major airlines now? I think it's nine. Um, have had complete meltdowns at various times. Spirit Airlines had a brutal meltdown. And then... You move further down the calendar, three, four weeks ago, Southwest Airlines had a complete meltdown. And then, just in the last 10 days, American Airlines had a complete meltdown. And what do I mean by meltdown? Huge percents of each of these three major airline schedules were grounded with basically no notice. 
I shared before that I was in New York's LaGuardia Airport during Southwest meltdown. I was flying Southwest, didn't know they were going through a meltdown, and I'm looking at the flight board to see what gate I'm flying out of and whether I'm on time. And I look up at the board and it's canceled, 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 canceled (laughs) all over the board. And thank goodness my flight was still going delayed, but still flew. And the problems that Spirit, American, and Southwest have had are, I know people blame everything on the pandemic, but absolutely the pandemic has caused these three meltdowns. And in short, here's what happened, and this could happen again, potentially at these three, and it could certainly happen at other airlines, except the least likely to have this happen is Delta, and I'll explain why that is in a minute. But in the pandemic last year, when travel just vanished, I mean, people completely stopped traveling. What happened was the airlines bought out a lot of employees. So the way the airline industry works, seniority is everything. And people who are very senior fly the least number of hours in a month and make the greatest paychecks. So in the meltdown, the airlines all went to their employees and asked, hey, who's willing to help us out take unpaid leave? Who's willing to take early retirement? Who's willing to quit and have flight benefits for life? Hey, what if we throw in medical benefits till your Medicare age? And so the airlines turned out to be too successful with this. They had so many experienced, knowledgeable people who said, yeah, I'm going to take that ticket because who knows what's going to happen next. Maybe the airline's going to spiral down financially and they're going to offer nothing and we're going to lose our jobs. So a very large number of very experienced people went out the door. So then this year, as we learn to manage life and live our lives in a pandemic, and what now uh, people in public health are referring to as an endemic event instead of a pandemic event. There's some term like that that the brilliant people use that I don't really get. But the idea is now we have to manage this as something that could go on for a long time, and we live with it like we end up living with other illnesses. And so people have gone back in the air. You go into an airport like I do, and you go from where there was nobody in the terminals to now they are just bustling. No business travelers to speak of, but leisure travelers roared back. Um, You got the weights at TSA, because same thing, TSA short of people. Um, Support personnel for the airlines, short of people. There was a thing that happened uh, two weeks ago where, and I'm not going to quote an airline because I don't remember, but at one of their, I think it was Denver, but I don't want to say the airline because I'm not sure which airline it was, a whole row of planes on a concourse were never cleaned overnight Mm. because they were short of aircraft cleaners. It's a contractor who wasn't there to clean the airplanes. So this is going to be really tough. 
The problem is, is airlines um, have been short of personnel. They've wanted to grab their share of all these passengers returning. So they have no wiggle room in the event of uh, air traffic control system problem, a weather problem, anything like that. It then compounds on itself as flight crews are in the wrong cities or they're over their FAA-allowed hours to be working for that month. So you have to have cushion built in the system. And prior to the pandemic, there was that cushion. Now that cushion at many airlines no longer exists. You have a problem that then compounds itself. And who suffers? You and I as passengers. Why is Delta the least likely to have these problems? Because Delta maintained operational efficiency and cushion. Delta has maintained spare aircraft, flight attendants, and pilots. That's known as a hot spare in the industry where you have a plane that is ready to go with a crew on standby. And so they are in the best position. Southwest, after their meltdown, did a big cut in their flight schedules for the next many months. And Southwest now has gone back to normal cushioning of employment. And we'll see if that actually keeps them from any bumps in the road. And so without that cushion, I mean, if you have, let's say with Delta, where they're so dominant in certain cities like Salt Lake and Atlanta and some others, if they have a huge weather event in one of those major hubs, there will still be big flight delays and cancellations and all that. But the whole system won't have the kind of disruptions that have happened at American Spirit and Southwest. So if you have not booked a trip yet, most important things for you to do, book flights early in the day. Because when problems happen, it cascades through the day. And once you get past about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, an airline no longer is able to recover what they call schedule integrity. So the earlier flights of the day gives you more flexibility in terms of how you're going to get to where you're going as an alternative And another thing, uh, let's take Southwest. If you're booked a flight on Southwest a while ago, and now Southwest has done the schedule revisions, reducing the number of flights through these next couple of months, your flight may have changed. It may have been canceled. You may have gotten a connection you didn't have before and all that, and you don't even know it. You need to get online, make sure your flight is still as it was that you originally booked. And if you don't like what they've put you on as an alternative, you need time before you're going to travel to try to get back to a flight that is good and comfortable for you. Have the airline app on your phone that you're flying so that in the event that there is a problem with your flight, you're not standing in some stupid line or trying to call a phone number. They're going to answer next week. You want to use the app to try to rebook yourself because that is that gets you to the front of the line and it's the most efficient way for you to find another routing. Now, we used to have what was called Rule 240, and it's something that I believe the U.S. Congress should put back into law. And what it does 
is if an airline cancels your flight, regardless of reason, they then have to buy you a seat on another airline to get you to where you're going. The current system where you and I are treated like chopped liver and we're left our own devices is flat out wrong. And what used to happen was airlines would negotiate a wholesale rate for carrying a passenger from another airline when there was a flight cancel, again, for whatever reason. And that is something that should be brought back because it is wrong that you and I get punished. Another thing you should know, there are certain credit cards that using that credit card to buy your ticket will provide you a f- flight interruption coverage where they will then pay for you to buy a ticket last minute on someone else up to a certain amount of money so that you can get to your destination without harm to your wallet. So I historically have talked about as an example with hotels, before you book a hotel, go read TripAdvisor reviews on that hotel. And I have discovered that TripAdvisor has a real problem. And I am no longer able with confidence to read TripAdvisor reviews on a hotel and feel like I'm reading something that is valuable or useful. There's so much fakery involved. And there was just a news report that TripAdvisor took down a million fake reviews just last year when people weren't really traveling that much. Gosh. And when I read through them, you know, I always say, if you go on Yelp, you read reviews on Amazon, uh, you read reviews anywhere, you can't look at the star levels. You have to read the reviews because so many of them are fake. And this has been a plague at Amazon. I will tell you, the plague has infested the travel industry And TripAdvisor has got to figure out a way to fix this because I got to tell you, I'm thinning out up here and I'm pulling out more of my hair when I deal with trying to figure out, is this hotel okay to stay at or not? And I have um, a lot of experience staying in hotels and can tell you the pictures posted by a hotel chain on its own website I don't know where those pictures are from, but they're usually not anything like the place is going to be. And that's why review sites are really valuable, or at least TripAdvisor was. And so now it's become harder to figure out if a place you're going to stay is really going to be okay or not. So what I've done is now when I'm looking at hotels, I go first to read the one-star reviews. Now, a lot of people who post one-star reviews, their life may be kind of like a one-star kind of experience. <laughs> and so they, they're, they're just gripey, maybe not the happiest people in the world. But I find that if I start there, um, I get a sense of what I should be looking for when I go read what I read next, which is the four-star reviews. Now I like to read reviews from, from people who've written a lot of reviews. That doesn't guarantee they're not fake, but the more they, and if they they post personal photos at the destinations too, that seems to reduce some of the 
you know, the worry about the trickery. But it is a problem. Uh, Yelp has a thing where there are elite reviewers, Mm -hmm. people who've posted so many reviews. And I know this is hard because TripAdvisor's business model all works based on you being able to find credible information there. They got to fix this. Well, let's take a question about travel from Chris in South Carolina. He and his family of four are going to travel to New York City uh, in summer of next year, summer of 2022. With inflation not showing any lessening, should we buy tickets now or wait? So what you do with travel is you want to wait till there's a sales cycle that includes your travel dates to New York. If you have any flexibility when in the summer you're going to travel, that could help too. One example, a lot of times there will be good deals the first two weeks of June that are significantly lower. And I know the first two weeks of June technically isn't summer as it starts about 20th, 21st of June. But for so many people, Memorial Day really is the kickoff to summer travel. And so those first couple of weeks of June tend to be a lot cheaper. But if that's not going to work for you, you have to go the second half of June, July, uh, first half of August. By the way, the second half of August is cheaper too. Wait till there is a sale cycle and then buy. Set up an alert at google.com slash flights or other kind of tools where they will alert you when there is a good sale fare. And for hotels, if you're staying in a hotel when you go to New York, what I want you to do is I want you to book now fully refundable rooms in New York for your stay or room, and then monitor over time. The cheapest prices tend to occur in the three weeks before arrival, and that's the point at which you could look at other possible better deals than what you've been holding through the months. Again, it's a fully cancelable, penalty-free booking. One more? As many as you want. This is from David in Georgia. I live in a subdivision with an HOA. A tornado blew down some trees. Who is responsible if a tree from a common area falls on a private dwelling for its removal and damage? So, David... You're going to hate me because I'm guessing you're the one whose house or structure got hit by a tree. So it can vary some from state to state, but as a general rule, and man, have we dealt with these tree questions over the years, the general rule has has typically applied. If the trees, the tree that fell from the common area that hit your house or structure on your property appeared to be healthy before it fell, then you were responsible for the cost of removing the tree, and it's considered to be an act of God in most places. On the other hand, if the tree was clearly diseased or dying and the homeowner association did nothing about it, then the liability potentially shifts from you to deal with the damage to them. And again, I'm not a lawyer, but I can tell you we've had those tree questions so many times that that general guidance is normally spot-on accurate. And I want to tell you, if we didn't get to your question today or there's one-on-one advice you'd like, we got that for you. And it's free and been a service of our show 
since February of 1993. The Team Clark Consumer Action Center serves you Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning Eastern to 4 in the afternoon Eastern. You can call for one-on-one advice, 636-49-CLARK.